Um, so, because I am, uh, today's sermon is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Um, because I'm fair skinned and 50 ish, I decided last Monday that I needed to go to the dermatologist. And uh, I got a pretty good report. They had to do this chemical peel on my face. That's why it looks like I've been out in the sun and peeling, but otherwise, pretty good report. But I went because I'd noticed that there was these spots that were coming up on my skin that hadn't always been there before. And with a history of cancer in my family, I thought it'd be a good idea for me to go and have those checked out. And so I would point to the spots and the dermatologist would say, that is just a sign that you are growing in wisdom and maturity. I said, so you mean I'm getting old? He said, oh, we don't use that word here. Uh, Nor do we use the word that starts with an A in his three letters. And I said, age? He said, yeah, that one either. We don't use that one. You are simply growing in wisdom and maturity. Nothing to worry about. Well, I started thinking about it. There's been a lot of experiences that I've had over the last few years that have reminded me that I am growing in wisdom and maturity. One of them was several years ago when I went to a county fair, and I decided to ride the Scrambler. Now, if you've been to the county fair, you know what the Scrambler is. The Scrambler, you sit in this carriage, and it's spinning one way while the ride itself is spinning the other way. It's supposed to give you an experience of, of centrifugal force. Well, when you're 40, it also gives you the experience of nausea. <laughs> I've ridden that ride dozens of times in my life, maybe even hundreds of times in my life, but the last time I got on that ride, as soon as it began, my stomach started feeling a little queasy. And while I was on that ride, I began to speak out to God or to the ride operator (laughs) or whoever else would listen, do you not care that I'm about to get sick? I'd like to tell you that immediately God or the the ride operator said, Scrambler, be still. But it didn't happen that way. I literally thought that I might die on that ride that night. The good news is that I did not die. And perhaps in case you're wondering, the other good news is is that I did not feel the need to liquidate my assets. (laughs) I somehow made it through, and I vowed that I would never, ever ride that scrambler again. Another way that I've grown in wisdom and maturity. Well, I don't have to tell you this, that you don't have to go to a county fair to have your life all scrambled up. To feel like your world is being tossed and turned upside down. And in our scripture lesson today, we have Jesus sort of driving home this point for us. Just before our scripture lesson this morning, Jesus has spent this long, exhausting day of teaching. He's already told the disciples to have a boat ready for Him back in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark. 
And then earlier in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus uses the boat, but it's not in the way that we probably expected Him to use the boat. He simply gets into the boat and it serves as His pulpit so that He continued to teach and instruct the crowd, but so that the crowd can't keep pressing in upon Him. And by the time we get to our Scripture lesson this morning, Jesus is ready to use the boat for the reason that the boat was invented and created in the first place, for transportation. And so Jesus insists that the disciples get into the boat with Him so that they can cross over to the other side. And that's what's happening when our story picks up this morning. It's probably the only way that Jesus is going to be able to separate himself from the large crowd that has begun to follow him is to get into that boat. It's probably the only way that Jesus is going to have even just a few moments to rest because of the way the crowds have begun to follow him. And if you know anything about these disciples that are in the boat with Jesus, you know that several of them were fishermen. Several of them were professional boaters. And so they probably have had enough experience on the water that they realize that a storm can pop up really quick anywhere, but especially on the Sea of Galilee. I'm guessing that this was not the first storm that the disciples had ever encountered on the Sea of Galilee. I'm guessing it wasn't the last storm that the disciples had experienced on the Sea of Galilee. But there was something about this storm that got even the most grisly boat veterans afraid. It sounds as if from the text that the water is coming into the boat and that all of these seasoned veteran boaters and fishermen thought that they were literally about to drown. And during all of this time, Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern. Maybe the guy is just so wiped out from having taught all day long. But the disciples go to Jesus and they basically say uh, what I said on the scrambler, do you not care that we are about to die? Can you imagine how tired Jesus must have been to have slept through a storm that was so big and so frightening that people who are used to that kind of thing happening all the time were absolutely petrified? Or maybe, just maybe, that the events unfolded in our story this morning because Jesus wanted them to get a deeper meaning. Maybe Jesus had in mind another story that would have been important to their faith tradition. And maybe Jesus wanted them to see the parallels between that story and what they were now encountering on the water in the midst of that raging storm. I'm talking about the story of Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? How God goes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against those people and against the evils of that city and and Jonah didn't want to go. And so Jonah acts like he's going to get on the boat to Nineveh, but instead of going to Nineveh, he heads the exact opposite way and he goes to Tarshish. 
And do you remember how that while he's on this boat, that all of a sudden this great and terrible storm uh, breaks out? And everybody else that's on the boat is freaking out because they're so worried about this storm. And everybody else on the boat begins to pray to their different gods, hoping that one of their different gods would be able to silence that storm. But the storm doesn't stop. And then Jonah, they find Jonah, and he's doing exactly what Jesus was doing in the boat. He was asleep. And so they go and they wake him up and, and, and they say, why don't you pray to your God to see if your God can calm this storm because our gods can't? And Jonah must have known immediately that, yeah, my God can calm this storm. In fact, my God is using this storm right now to teach me an important lesson about my relationship with God, uh, my, something about my faith. I, I, don't you know that he knew that his God could calm that storm? Well, we know that because he said, hey, look, uh, this is probably happening because I've been a little bit disobedient. And so if you just throw me off of the edge of the boat, uh, then God can, my God can, and my God will stop this storm. And so that's what they do. They throw Jonah off into the water and the storm stops. It's a way of illustrating uh, God has power over the storms of life. And that even though storms of life are going to happen, if you're in the midst of one, there might be a good lesson that you could learn from being in the midst of that storm. And so maybe that's why Jesus acted the way that He acted in our story this morning. Maybe Jesus is just tired from teaching, but maybe he wants them to understand that storms in life are going to come, even when you're following Jesus, even when you're in the boat with Jesus, even when you're walking with Jesus, storms are going to come. But you can take comfort in knowing that God is in control and that there are maybe a lesson to learn while you're in that storm. But here's what happens in the story with uh, Jesus. They wake him up and say, do you not care? Because no matter what Jesus intended when he was sleeping, they interpreted Jesus' nautical nap as indifference. You don't care about me. Do you not care that we are about to die in this tragic storm? And instead of Jesus immediately speaking to the disciples in response to their statement and their question, Jesus instead speaks to the storm itself. And the way Jesus speaks to the storm itself is different than Jesus typically speaks to people in the Gospels. In fact, the only time that Jesus ever speaks in the same way that Jesus speaks to the storm in this story is back in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus spoke to an unclean spirit uh, that had possessed a man. And Jesus uses that same direct approach in speaking to the storm. Maybe the reason why Jesus did this is because in Jesus' day... A raging storm was believed to be the activity of demons. 
And Jesus wants those who might be inclined to think that what is happening is the subject or the the result of some demonic force at work, that Jesus has power over those demons and over those forces. And so He says, be still. He was clear. He was concise. He was commanding. And the waves and the wind ceased. And then Jesus asked this question. Why are you so afraid? Now I don't know about y'all, but this makes me think of Bill Ingvall. You know, here's your sign, Bill Ingvall. You know, he's the one that tells the joke about how his tire went flat and he pulled up to the tire shop and the guy walks out and says, Did your tire go flat? And he said, no, I was riding around and the other three just swelled up. (laughs) I mean, Jesus asking, why are you afraid? I mean, isn't that a ridiculous question? I mean, if it's a storm that's big enough and bad enough and ferocious enough that these veteran fishermen and boaters are afraid, if water's coming into the boat, if they feel like they're going to drown, why are you afraid? I'm afraid because water's coming in my boat. I'm afraid that this is the worst storm that I've ever seen and that we might not make it. It seems like such a ridiculous question that Jesus would ask. And yet the more I thought about the question, the more I think that Jesus is not discounting the seriousness of this situation. Jesus is simply saying that storms are a reality in life. Even when you're walking with me. Even when you're in the boat with me. Even when you're going where I want you to go. Even when I am with you, storms will come. But what He is asking them to do is He's making an appeal and He is inviting them that when the storm comes, I want you to trust Me. I want you to know that you are not alone. And I want you to know that storms are going to come. And if the storm's going to come, maybe one of the things you can do is ask, is what does the way I respond in this storm say about my relationship to God? And what might there be for me to learn when I'm going through the storms that would be important in my faith journey and in my faith development? You know, I almost wish Jesus wouldn't have calmed that storm that day. Because the fact is that since Jesus calmed the storm, every single one of us thinks that Jesus ought to calm our storms too. We think that just because it happened in this story, that that's what Jesus is supposed to do whenever any of us have a storm in life. But if you look, Jesus never did say that... um, I'm always going to calm the storms of life. This is a particular story at a particular moment in time that happened to a particular group. And so there is no evidence to suggest that Jesus ever intended to calm every single one of our storms. You know, and if Jesus hadn't calmed the storm that day, I'd have a great sermon illustration right now. I could just say, this is a story about patiently enduring adversity when it comes to you. But Jesus did calm the storm, and Jesus calmed it immediately. 
Well, Jesus doesn't promise to calm all our storms. There's evidence in our lives and in Scripture's lives that even though we walk with Christ, that, that there are going to be times when the storms come. But over and over again, we're promised in Scripture that we are not alone and that God can be trusted. And that when you're going through a storm in life, regardless of what caused it or how it came about, it does reveal to us certain things about our relationship with God that we might not otherwise know or get. There's trust in Jesus is what Jesus wants us to do and to know that we are not alone. Our founder, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, which ended up becoming the United Methodist Church, recorded in his journal one time about one of his crossings over the sea, and it was a terrible, raging storm, one of the worst storms that he'd ever experienced in his life. And John Wesley thought that he was going to die, and John Wesley was so afraid and frightened. And he said while he was over there cowering in the corner that he noticed a group of Moravians, another set of followers of Jesus, who gathered in that same boat in the midst of that same storm, and they began praying and praising God and worshiping God. And John Wesley said, when he looked at those Moravians, he said, God, I want that same kind of faith. I want that same ability to look to You and to trust in You and to praise You and to pray to You when the storms of life come. And as we gather here today, I know that there are so many in this room that are facing those storms of life. That have left you feeling tossed about and all scrambled up. And maybe you're like me on that scrambler that day. You're wondering if God even cares that you're going through the storm that you are going through. Well, Jesus never promised us that our storms would end, but Jesus did promise that I'm with you and that you can trust me. And that even in the midst of a storm, there could be something good to come from it. So just hang in there and hold on. And in the same prayer that John Wesley prayed for himself on that boat that day, is the same prayer that I pray for those of us here this morning that are going through the storm. That God would somehow grant us the grace to be able to trust enough, to have enough faith, to know that regardless of how bad the storm is, Christ is with us. That's my prayer for you today.